Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Islam for Christians, episode 66, Quran, Surah 100, Al-Hadiyat, The Chargers. By the galloping, panting horses, striking sparks of fire with their hoofs, launching raids at dawn, stirring up clouds of dust, and penetrating into the heart of enemy lines. Surely humankind is ungrateful to their Lord, and they certainly attest to this, and they are truly extreme in their love of worldly gains. Do they not know that when the contents of the graves will be spilled out and the secrets of the hearts will be laid bare, surely their Lord is all aware of them on that day. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad al-Ghamdi. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعاديات ضدحا فالموريات قدحا فالمغيرات صبحا فأثرن به نقعا فوسقن به جمعا إن الإنسان لربه لكنود وإن few people and particularly few religious people will tell you that war is a good thing because war is the most horrible of human experiences. War is the worst, most grotesque affront to the dignity of humans that there is. It's a last resort for a reason, at least among rational people, because wars don't usually have winners. They just have a side which loses less. Especially in the modern context, there just are really no good aspects to war. However, the concept of war, the mental conception of war, that's an entirely different thing. Because for creative types, like poets and writers and artists, war is an extremely fertile ground for metaphors, the most powerful of imagery. And this is because of the savagery of war, the intensity of war, but even more so, the authenticity of war. By that, I mean its lack of pretense, of restraint, of ceremony. War is authentic. It's just a brutal, primal, raw thing. There are no rules, only struggle. This is why all the worst things are almost always linked to a war in some way. Things like genocide, mass rape, looting. It's the pinnacle of human sin, at its most authentic and its most intense. But the opposite, the flip side of that, is also true. With the same level of intensity, rawness, authentic humanity, Sometimes in a war, the very best in humans is shown. Courage, 
selflessness. For every Adolf Hitler, there is a Diedrich Bonhoeffer. For every Joseph Mengele, there is a Desmond Doss, who is the famed medic uh, whose story was told in the movie Hacksaw Ridge. The intensity and authenticity of war, and the way it can both blur moral lines and make them clearer than ever, this is why war metaphors are used so often. And in this surah, in the Quran, we have a war metaphor. The first five lines use war to invoke an intense image. Men on horses, running so intent that their hooves spark and they kick up dust, charging the enemy at full speed. In the 7th century, this was the most intense war image you could use. The modern equivalent of this would be something like the rumbling tanks speeding through the lines, the fighter jets flying west with the dawn, leaving craters and dust in their wake, and piercing the enemy with shock and awe. So, why the war metaphor in the Quran here? What is being conveyed here? This is subject to widely different interpretations, but that mostly has to do with the second part of the surah, because we have six lines of metaphor followed by six lines of sermon. And the sermon seems somewhat unrelated to what is before it, but surely there has to be some link, doesn't there? What do charging horses have to do with mankind being ungrateful and that his secrets will all be known in the end? Now, I've seen three basic interpretations of this, and they're all valid. It's the beauty of these things. Many interpretations can be true at once. It's not a matter of true and false. It's a matter of truth one, truth two, truth three, all encompassed within one ultimate truth. Okay, so the first focuses on the virtues of the horses themselves. The first interpretation, I should say. It focuses on the virtues of the horses and what they represent. Now, the second interpretation focuses on the virtues of the men on the horses, the riders, and what their devotion means for the early enemies of Islam. And the third interpretation contends that the men on the horses are not really virtuous at all, that they are reckless idiots with no one to guide them, aggressive types who do not fight for any particular reason, you know, kind of like the Meccan pagans. Okay, um, I should also note that this is usually considered to be an early Meccan surah. It reads like one, especially the early part, and I think that's probably right, but there are a few who think it's a Medinan surah. But either way, I don't think this is referencing anything specific, not a specific battle or anything like that. It's a war metaphor, not a historical reference, and clearly a war metaphor with the horses. These aren't just wild horses charging across the Asian steppe or anything. These are war horses. Actually, the Arabic word for these horses gives the sura its name, al-adiyat. Now, this word, this is the noun form of the letters ein, da, wa which in its verbal root means to run, to race, to speed, but also to attack, to raid, or aggressively charge. 
you see that dual nature throughout all forms of this word, because in many of its forms, it can be good or it can be bad. It can be someone moving fast in a good way or someone charging aggressively in a bad way. This also gives some leeway in interpretation, and the same is true of the noun form of this verb. That's why you'll see galloping horses or the coursers. I see that a lot, but I've never heard that word in English, so it always strikes me as odd when it's described this way. I think it's a kind of a horse, but I think it might be just old language that no one in our time understands anymore. You'll also see the word racers. Now, the word is usually followed by the descriptor, panting or snorting. So it's basically the panting racers. Okay, so the first interpretation. I promised you three interpretations. Here's the first. The horses are metaphors for people, meaning concentrate on what the horses are doing in this description. The horses are doing exactly what they're being told to do, even though they can't possibly understand what is going on. The horses are charging into battle, unconcerned with their own safety. And they ought to be. You know, really, what's their stake in this fight? It doesn't matter. But they are completely devoted to their masters in the most extreme way possible. And more than that, they're doing this at dawn in full view of their enemies. Now that's the setup, the metaphor before the sermon. And here's the sermon. We are told that man is ungrateful, meaning that the Quran is comparing humans to the horses. Does man show that kind of devotion to God the way the horses are showing to their masters? Would we do that if God asked us to do it? Likely not. Man is ungrateful, the opposite of these horses. Man is treasonous in a time of war, in the battle against evil. He commits treason against God by chasing the world's wealth and their appetites and their vices. Now, you see the war metaphor here in the battle against sin. Sin is the same as treason because you are not listening to your commander. You are listening to someone else, to something else. Just ponder this for a moment. Now, we all have our vices, the things we like to do that we know God does not want us to do. I certainly do. So just consider, you know, just imagine you are indulging in your own vices. Everyone on earth struggles with at least one of the seven deadly sins, often more. Those are envy, gluttony, greed, lust, pride, sloth, wrath. Now, just think to a time when you were indulging one of those. Now, five of those don't faze me at all, but two are responsible for pretty much every major sin I have committed. I'm guessing it's pretty similar with most people. Again, which one is yours? Just think about that one or that two. Probably easier just to do pick one. So just think about that. Think about when you go down one of these paths. Think about your state of mind when you're caught up in these things. Now, you may have noticed that you cannot think about God and one of these topics at the same time. 
you have, you know, when you're going to engage in this behavior, you have to basically tell God to go away for a while. You know, this is going to be the priority in this moment. This is now my priority, this thing, not you. Now, this is spiritual treason. And this is the point the Sora is making. God knows this, and it will be revealed on Judgment Day, is what it's saying. You cannot hide anything from God, even what's in your heart. So prepare to answer for it. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you may have noticed by now that this is a Quranic theme. Everything leads to the day of judgment. And this is not one of those stupid pagan gods that can be tricked or bribed or deceived. This is Allah, the God, the only God, and an omniscient, all-powerful creator God. Now, as in war, you must give your all to the cause, to your commander. You know, like in the first commandment, love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Now, that's the first interpretation. I promised you three. <laughs> Here's the second. For the second interpretation, focus on the warriors on the horses themselves and what they represent, what they mean. The warriors are often seen as a tool of God and that he's almost making a threat here, swearing by God and vast armies of believers, showing off their power and their willingness to fearlessly risk their lives. And who is the audience for this? Not Muslims, but their enemies. In this theory, theory number two, the surah is being addressed to the enemies of Islam as a warning of what is coming for them, and a warning of the power of Islam. And really... This works both on the literal and metaphorical levels. On the literal level, it could be a warning to the enemies of Islam that these people are 100% dedicated to Allah, and any attempt to wipe out Islam will surely fail. You ungrateful pagans, you people dedicated to the material riches of the world, all shall be revealed on the final day, and then you'll be in trouble. And on the metaphorical level, it's being addressed to the spiritual enemies of Islam, of virtue and uh, the enemies of virtue and the enemies of the worship of the only God. It's a warning to Satan, basically. Now, really, who is more ungrateful than Satan? And all of his lies will be revealed on the last day. And the same is true for the people who follow him. Now, that's the second interpretation. Now, I'll give you the third. Um, the third and final interpretation is quite fascinating, at least to me, because it depends on a completely different vision of the horses than I think comes to mind for most people. You know, this is a different vision. This is one that I never had in my mind when I was reading this, because in my mind, I read those first five lines, and I get a powerful image in my mind of horses, maybe on top of a hill, charging down at maximum speed, 
with a shrieking warrior on top of the horse, brandishing a sword or a spear or pointing it forward, or even the modern equivalent of this, like columns of Abrams tanks charging across the desert. You know, I think of military courage, competence, ferocity. But not everyone sees it that way. There are some who see these charging horses, and more specifically, the people on them. They see them as hapless idiots, more of an Iraqi Republican guard than Rommel's tank corps, more General Custer than Genghis Khan. And the main reason for this is a belief by some commentators that the first part, the image of the horses, must be parallel, clearly linked to the second part, and not as a contrast, but as a continual narrative. Meaning, if the second part is clearly a condemnation, the ungratefulness and heedlessness of Judgment Day, then surely the first part must be something that is being condemned as well. Now, this is a fascinating take, and it's worth considering. Uh, but in all honesty, I don't quite follow this assumption. It's almost like trying to bring legal logic to what is clearly poetry. But you know, who really cares what I think? Let's just assume they're right. Then what does this surah mean if they are right? It means the sermon is condemning the actions of these chargers. These aggressive charging cavalrymen are not virtuous. Quite the opposite, actually. They are reckless and not virtuous. They're the erring soul, charging toward things blindly and not really able to distinguish friend or foe in the dust being kicked up. Like someone who just rails against everything, devoid of direction or reason, no moral compass. These are the people that surrender to their appetites, who charge ahead regardless of the moral aspect of anything. That's an interesting take, isn't it? And that's both the strength and the limitation of using metaphor in a religious text. It can be taken literally, or it can be taken figuratively, and in a number of different ways. You'll see a ton of this in the early Meccansuras of the Quran. It's beautiful and poetic and intense, but it lacks the clarity of other literary devices that could have also been used, like for example, the similes in the gospel. Now, if you don't know what a simile is, a quick English lesson here. A metaphor is a literal comparison. Like say, someone is really fast. You can just say, that person is lightning. That's a metaphor. You didn't say the person's like lightning or similar. You just said straight up, this person is lightning. But you can also make it clear that this should not be taken literally by using a simile and say, that person is as fast as lightning, or that person is like lightning. That's a simile. Now you see the difference. Jesus did this all the time. The kingdom of God is like, or it's as hard as a camel passing through the eye of the needle. You know, Jesus did not just say, it is a camel passing through the eye of a needle. He said, it's like that. Thus, similes cannot be taken literally. There's less ambiguity. And even more so than that, 
Jesus would usually follow it with an explanation. And that's great if uh, you're looking for clarity, if you want to be completely certain that the people are understanding what it is that you are saying. But at the same time, there's something to be said of the blunt impact of straight metaphor. And this Sora is certainly an example of that, straight, blunt metaphor. And it's also an example of the ambiguity, the uncertainty, the varied interpretations that also come with a blunt metaphor. Beautiful, powerful, but mysterious. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Insha'Allah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.